Bulletproof Radio, a state of high performance. You're listening to Bulletproof Radio with Dave Asprey. Today's cool fact of the day is that a healthy relationship starts with we. You're like, Dave, that's not a cool fact of the day. That's some sort of new generation, whatever, platitude. But I'm talking about research that really grew our body of evidence saying that the pronouns that you use can actually predict good relationship outcomes. This is research by UC Riverside psychologist Megan Robbins, who emphasized the power of first-person personal pronouns like we and us in relationships. So if you say we, it's an indicator of interdependence, meaning that partners affect each other's thoughts, feelings, and behaviors. And if you shift from that self-oriented I to the relationship-oriented we, it makes a difference. Robbins and her team looked at 30 studies of 5,300 participants to say that couples who say we and us are the ones who have better relationships. About half the people that they said were married, they looked at relationship outcomes, relationship behaviors, mental health, physical health, and other health behaviors. In all five of those categories, across all contexts, and almost perfectly equal for men and women, apparently we is greater than I, or to put it the other way, there is no I in we. Speaking of relationships and things like that, when I wrote Game Changers, a book that summarizes the wisdom and knowledge of almost 500 people who've done something noteworthy enough to come on Bulletproof Radio in their careers and in their lives, um, the research showed that there's three big categories that people pay attention to, and they focus on being happier, they focus on being smarter, and they focus on being faster, and the power of relationships came out in several of the 46 laws of high performers. If you haven't had a chance to read Game Changers, it will save you 500 hours of podcast listening time to read this book. It is the highest ROI of all the books there. You want the nuggets, the wisdom, not podcast transcripts boiled down. I'm talking actual analysis of data to tell you what the people who do the biggest things pay attention to, what they value the most, so you can reorganize your priorities. Read Game Changers, and if you'd be so kind, leave a review. And I say that because... We're going to be talking about writing books and about being an author. What if there was a way to level up your energy, get rid of stress, and take more control of your body? Welcome to Quantum Upgrade. This is a new technology that taps into quantum energy to help you feel amazing. Quantum Upgrade has a lot of different products that help protect you from EMF and help activate your body's natural healing abilities. You can expect better sleep, more resilience, less stress, and better blood flow. The cool thing about Quantum Upgrade is that the products are backed by a lot of heavy-duty scientific studies, and there's a new measurable upgrade. You can now use Quantum Upgrade to increase your consciousness levels between 1,400 and 2,200 on the Hawkins map of consciousness. If you don't know what that means, do some research because it's impressive, it's fun to learn about, and it's something that I've come to understand. Ready to try Quantum Upgrade? Visit quantumupgrade.io slash Dave for a seven-day free trial. What if there was a way to feel younger for longer? Well, there is. Your body needs something called the NAD plus molecule to help you age well. When you're young, your body makes a lot of NAD plus, and that helps you make energy, it helps you keep your DNA healthy, absorb nutrients well, and it protects your cells from stress. But once you hit about 30, your NAD plus levels start to drop. 
The good news is that longevity scientists have found some things that can help, like niacin, niacinamide, and niagen. They help your body make more NAD+, even as you age. All three of these are in an amazing formula called Qualia NAD+. Check out Qualia NAD+, risk-free, for up to 100 days at neurohacker.com slash dave15 to save an extra 15%. That's neurohacker.com slash dave15, Qualia NAD+. It's what I use. Because I have one of my favorite authors, uh, who's an inspirational guy, uh, and uh, well, sometimes branded as a bit of a dirtbag, but it's totally not true. I know him. He's smiling right now. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and someone who's been on the show before and is actually featured in Game Changers. None other than Neil Strauss. Neil, you've actually... You've I've never been called a dirtbag, at least to my face before. Well, I mean, I, it's just what we say when you're not in the room, and I thought, no, I'm right. kidding. Uh, uh, oh, by the way, a quick note on your fun fact of the day, which is yeah? when people say, because I have an issue with this, but maybe you don't, when people say, when a male says, who's in a couple, says, we're pregnant, yeah. does that ever strike you? I mean, according to your fun fact, your fact, that's a good thing. But to me, I always think like, no, she's pregnant, dude. You're just like going to be cheering it on. She's going, you know, something's... I, but couples say that it always rubs me the wrong way. I think when, when a woman says it, it feels a little bit different. When a guy says it, I'm kind of like, are you sure it's yours? But that's just me. No, I'm kidding. I don't actually yeah. think that. But but yeah, it is it is kind of weird. It's it's like, you know, maybe our family is pregnant or, or whatever. We're, we're expecting a baby feels good, but we're, we're expecting pregnant. a baby, but she's yeah. pregnant. I don't yeah. think I ever said we're pregnant. I was always like, you know, Lana's pregnant and I'm really right. happy about that. Um, and the reason I was joking. Well, we're, we're really happy about that, by the way. <laughs> I, I, exactly. Yes. Uh, now, the reason I, I was jokingly saying you're a dirtbag is because uh, you know you're you're well known uh, because you wrote the game and you immersed yourself in this pickup artist community. And so there are people who you know read your book, which is pretty shocking and a fantastic read, uh, which which makes sense because uh, if you look at what you've done as a writer and a journalist, I mean, you've had a you know just fantastic career. So you know how to tell a story like few people do. Uh, and you read that, you're going, oh my god. This pickup artist community is pretty profoundly disturbed, uh, and and you could have sort of been branded as that, uh, but you you came out. And we've talked about this in your other your other two interviews on the show, but you you sort of came out of that after a while, and and you said, you know, I'm going to write the truth, which was sort of the opposite of that. So for people who didn't hear those other two interviews, who don't know your backstory before you got into your your new project, we're going to talk about your new podcast. Um, tell me about immersing yourself in the game. Sure. Yeah, I know it's interesting. I think a lot of people who say that it's inter the game's an inter it's like an interesting phenomena separate from me. Like you can't control what happens with a book after yeah. you write it. And it's sort of become like it has become like a symbol of all that's disgusting about just, you know, whatever that male kind of culture. Right. But it, but even when I wrote it, and again, I don't know what it is cuz I haven't read it since I wrote it. I never read a book once it's published because I might want to change something. I know. I'm sure. <laughs> I'm the same I'm way. <laughs> yeah. And and because it's so old, I'm sure there are appalling things in there I've written. But the intention when I wrote the book was like it it didn't it wasn't like a pro rah 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 this culture, this is what you do. I definitely it was like a journey like into an art of, out of the, the darkness of this sort of uh manipulative predatory world and begins, you know, so so it's funny, but what the book what people think the book is is different than what I intended it is what it actually is. Yeah. I don't know. You're an investigative journalist. I mean, you've written, uh, you've won big awards in New York times for a decade. You've, you've written for Rolling Stone on Elon Musk and Tom Cruise. 
So you're you're sort of the the big deal as a journalist. Uh, very very right. successful, and and so. But it's interesting because our culture is so obsessed with sex. Yeah. That if you write do something about sex, it just eclipses everything because we're so we have we're so tied in knots around the concept of sex and sexuality. I I was kind of blown away because your first book, Neil, it was called Emergency, which is. I don't know if that was your first book, but the first book I read anyway. Um, right. It, it was this fantastic story spanning uh, probably five or 10 years of how you like learned to become self-sufficient. It inspired me to do the urban escape and evasion, you know, kidnapper so cool. training where they teach you how to you know, pick locks and, and you know, what to do if you're locked in the trunk of a car and all this stuff. Uh, and, and like you lived all this stuff and then you write the story immersed in it. And then you did the same thing for this world of pickup artists, but, but you did get branded as sort of this, you know, kind of low moral, uh, sort of thing because you immersed yourself in it to write about it. But what blows me away is then you come back with the truth and now you're so focused on, uh, this level of rigor on relationships and, and on not being good at picking up women, but on actually, you know, becoming in a healthy relationship with them. Uh, and and that, that arc is outside of your storytelling, but that's actually what you did as a human being that you immerse yourself in these different things. And then you told the story. Uh, and I, th I think that you completely um, changed the perception of, of yourself as a human being uh, by doing that, uh, which, which is something few people get to do. Right. And it wasn't the goal. I think it was the goal that went to minute the goal. Like if I, like my goal with the game was I was just lonely and <laughs> wanted to know what am I doing wrong? Why don't women like me? That really was the goal with emergency. It was like, I'm scared. The world's going to hell. Uh, you can't trust the system to protect you. What am I going to do in dealing with that fear? And the truth was, why don't my relationships work out? Why do they always end in disaster? How can I fix that? So to me, it started with a question. And once I found an answer, uh, it became a book versus Oh, I'm trying to, a lot of people don't, you know, when they come up to me and ask questions, I'm sure you too, they're like, they want to get an idea that makes money or an idea that's successful. But if you start with something you just really want to do, whether it succeeds or not, you win if you do it. Yeah. Cause you got to do it, which is the thing. Right. Uh, I'm, yeah. I'm like that with this, this whole anti-aging thing that I've been doing for 20 yeah. years. Like it's, it's what I like. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Winning is living longer. Right. Like you win, like a book, it like doesn't matter. Yeah, exactly. That, and that's the thing is like people, I'm sure a lot of people listening to, maybe this is cliched advice, but it really is true. Whenever someone has a question, it's like, what would you do anyway, if you didn't get paid for it? What would you do anyway, if it wasn't successful and feel like you, it was an accomplishment. Like if you ask yourself that question, there's no losing. Uh, it's the Joseph Campbell quote. Oh, go ahead. It, it is a, a Joseph. Uh, there's a Joseph Campbell quote about it, but it's it's not really. But it's not the follow your bliss one. It's the, it's the it's the it's sorry to cut you off, but it's the it's, it's this one's not as popular. I think it's more important than the follow your bliss quote. It's like the insecure way is really the secure way. Uh, the thing that seems not safe is safe, but the secure way, like I'm doing this for money, is really insecure because if you lose the money or you don't make the money, you have nothing. The experience can't be taken away, but the money can. And exactly. I, I certainly learned that one when I, I lost a maiden lost $6 million uh, before I was 28. And like, yep, I wasn't a lot happier with that money, but it sure was more convenient. Uh, right. And uh, if I had spent that money on experiences, I probably would have been able to tell stories um, at least as interesting as emergency. <laughs> right. No, exactly. Exactly. Uh, but it's, it's a bit scary. And I, I look at, at game changers as what, what I would have liked to have known 
when I was 20. If someone had just told me like, this is what the people get to where you want to get, this is what they pay attention to, this is what they care about, it would have saved me a lot of like tilting at the wrong windmills sort of thing. But that I'm always scared of that advice, you know, do what you love because I know some people in their 20s and what they really love is, you know, nude figure skating or, you know, uh, doodling on the beach or uh, getting really, really oh. high. And like, it's got to be somewhat useful. Well, here, here, you know, here, it doesn't have to be useful, but here's an important distinction. Um, it isn't like live by the pleasure principle. It's, uh, and again, like those kids who play video games are now like huge esports guys. Right. You don't, or, and, and women, like they're people who are, there's a lot of money in the cannabis world and the, and the, Fair point. so, so, the, so, but the point is people think that, but there's an important distinction, which is people think we're saying you have to love it all the time. And as you and I know, and I remember when you're opening the bullet, the cafes and things were it, the first one was an opening or when I was writing oh, yeah. the truth, it's, it's not, it is, if you're doing what you love, you are miserable during three quarters of it, yeah. but you do it because it's worth it in the end. It, writing a book. I, and you do it, you do it because it's worth the misery, yeah. not because you're never going to be miserable. I, I, I'm in the late stages of, of my next book after Game Changers, because you know, if you're going to write, oh, wow. you're going to write a book every you know 12 to 18 months. Uh, you're always writing, and that last like six weeks of going through everything that you've written and compiled and rewriting it. Uh, I I usually don't get enough sleep, and you know it it, it takes something out of you. But you know, then when you're done, you're like, okay, now I really understand what I just wrote about, and and you you pro- I'm guessing you must have a similar process. Like when the deadline's near, you're sort of all in, but it's not always fun, right? Oh, oh no, it's <clears throat> no, it's it, I mean it's tough. I, I say never again. I'm never doing this again. Uh, you know, I'll read it. I'll say, this is horrible. Why do I waste my time? You go through so many different emotions that you get it to that place where you're happy with it and it's all worth it. Like you just work at it. Like nothing you've worked at it before you go through because you care about it so much. It's like parenting, right? It's not always parenting. is not always the greatest, most fulfilling, rewarding thing, but it's worth it. You wrote something uh, right at the start of the year. Uh, you wrote, sometimes your passion isn't fun. Sometimes it's grueling, soul-searing, self-doubting, time-consuming work. But stick with it and don't give it up because it's worth it in the end. And then you say a few more things and you say when when experts tell you that you should just do the fun things uh, and they tell you to look at something else when it's not fun anymore, those are the experts who start looking for a new passion. And you say these words, but sometimes it's just work. Stay out of your head and do the heavy lifting. Stick with it. Get better at your craft because it's worth it. And it's funny that you posted that at the beginning of the year. We started talking about it and realized, oh, wait, I've actually got this in my my prep notes for our interview. Oh, that's funny. Uh, yeah. it, it was already there. I, much better said. That's why I'm a writer. That was much better said. <laughs> uh, so, all right, I'm going to ask you this as someone who's who's been successful. I mean, when I say successful, I talked a little bit about your journalism stuff, but you've also written like Marilyn Manson's book and... Uh, who's the large comedian you worked with? Uh, oh, Kevin Hart. Kevin Hart. I mean, pretty yeah. much. And, and I did one called The Dirt. So I guess I, which just coming out of Netflix, but I just realized it's one called The Dirt. So I guess that is Dirt Bag. The Dirt. There you go. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and uh, so you've, I mean, but, but you've, you've just done this over and over. So I want to ask you as, as an acknowledged expert in sticking with it, even if it's hard, as someone who's right. done it over and over and over in your life, why do so many people go off track? when they're working on finding their, their passion, their purpose, and, and why don't you? So kind of two questions there. Right. Yeah, yeah. I think, I think, I think yeah, the, there are two reasons why people go off track. One is, one is they can't find the starting point, and the other is they're afraid of the ending point. Mm. So we'll, we can cover both really quickly. Yeah. Well, I think, I think the, more, the people who can't find their starting point 
buy into the myth of I have to figure this thing out and it has to be the right thing and it has to be the perfect thing. And they get stuck. They're like, well, I don't want to waste all this time doing it. If it does, they get stuck in analysis paralysis. And I know so many people like that. Um, not realizing that you you walk yourself into your passion. Where you start is not where you end up. But you just start doing something. So my advice for the people who can't start and are trying to, if you locked someone in a room for five years and said, figure out your passion, they're not going to leave knowing their passion. You have to do something. So my advice is like, do something you kind of enjoy and don't hate. Just start there. <laughs> and then and then just be open to the flow of where it takes you. Like I've seen, uh, you know, and even my own journey, and I'm sure your journey, you just start doing something. And slowly, if you're just uh, staying aware, I think awareness is so important and just paying attention uh, to the responses you're getting, how you're feeling about things. Like light, the course of life drifts you to where you should be going and you find it. But if you don't start, like you never get anywhere. Mm-hmm. So that's one. And, and it doesn't have to be the thing. It'll lead you to the thing. And there's no time wasted if it leads you there. That's one. Two is, I know so many people who start something. They're passionate about it. You, you're like, they're going to do great. And then halfway or three quarters or even nine tenths of the way through, they get super passionate about something else. And they never finish that thing. And I think that it's because, you know, fear of success or fear, fear of failure, right? They're like, if I do this and it fails, what does that mean about me? What does that say about me? Or there's the undeservedness for success. And they'd rather live in the illusion that they're a genius than put something out in the world, not have it get the ideal feedback they want, and then have their whole, whole ego self crushed. Mm. It makes a lot of sense because that, that whole fear of having your ego crushed, it people don't necessarily label it that way. You do it because you've studied personal development and we've, we've sat in cars and chatted over dinner and all. And <laughs> right. like you, you've done some heavy duty digging like I have too, where you, you get to that point, you actually know it's your ego. But for someone who, who hasn't necessarily realized, oh, that feeling of, I really hate this. I really want to die. I want to hit that person that that's actually your ego. <laughs> right. That's your shadow. That's the side of yourself yeah. you don't like, right? When you see someone you instantly don't like right away, yeah. like you're looking, you're looking in the mirror and that's the side of yourself you're afraid that you're presenting. Uh, it's so true. I love the psychology stuff, and we can go down that rabbit hole. It's the stuff we're talking about, the fear of failure, the, it's implanted early on. So um, I know a lot of people who are like the prince uh, or the princess in their family they could do no wrong. Mm-hmm. Then they're out in the real world, and they don't want to do something in case it's wrong so they can live in that illusion of being still the hero. Or people who are so heavily criticized that their inner critic is always on yeah. and beating themselves up. It, it's kind of funny. I, I've i never, uh, at least consciously, um, praised my kids uh, for, for being smart because uh, I, right. I don't want them to get that entitled thing. Uh, what I do is I tell them, you, you worked really hard. You did a great job. And, and like that's what yeah. earns the praise is you know the, the working really hard. And all present for winning. Like You worked hard and you saw results. Like, you know, great. Right. You, know, you, you did it. You earned it versus it was an intrinsic thing that happened. And I'm hoping that's one of the ways I can prevent my kids from falling, you know, too heavily into that trap that I think all humans fall into. Yeah, because you self-identify as smart, then you're afraid to be wrong, yet you only learn by being wrong. (laughs) Exactly. Like, like, let's not take any risks ever again because I'm too smart to take risks. That's that's not going to lead to happiness. it's, It's the saddest thing to see someone who can't admit when they are wrong because they're like, there's no growth and there's no point in having a real discussion with them. It's a really tragic. I was going to write a book at one point. I wrote like four chapters uh, called The Power of Low. I'll probably do it. So don't take this idea. Okay. Um, and for all the millions, not you, the, for the, yeah, but it's fine. You guys can take it anyway. But it's called, it was going to be called The Power of Low Self Esteem. 
<laughs> it's all about how like not thinking you're good enough and thinking you're wrong propels you to do more. And I studied like Martin Luther King, Mother Teresa, like Martin Luther King told his congregation, I don't think dreams come true. And we're, and, and Mother Teresa, like in her journals, like, you know, wrestled with her faith in God and whether she believed he existed or not. Uh, so what I realized is people think that these kind of cultural icons, and again, I've interviewed the people of our time, right. just got it all together and supreme confidence. What they don't realize is you just have to be 51% confident versus 49% insecure, right? right? It just needs to be a little bit, you just have to have a little bit enough just to get yourself over the finish line. Yeah, the the running from failure versus uh, moving towards success is a very different mindset. And I mean, right. you you sound like so. Your book Emergency it, is such a long period of time in your life. At least it sounds like it is. Uh, from right. when you started, when you finished it, it sounds like you actually went from a lot more of a place of moving away from fear. Um, at least when you started this thing, you're like, I want to feel safe. And here I am this intellectual New Yorker and I don't, I realized I couldn't take care of myself. So, you know, I'll go hang out with some hell's angels and, you know, kill a goat and all the other crazy stuff you did. Um, it, and you actually decided, so instead of running away from your fears that you're going to turn around and actually face your fears and become good at the things you're afraid of. Would you right. advise people listening to the show today to go out and do the same thing? A hundred percent. I think like in a, in a, in a, because your brain, if it's scared of something and it realizes there's nothing there, starts to rewire itself. You know, you, you expose yourself enough to this thing and it yeah. starts to sort of be like, oh, that's, that's okay. It's interesting. <clears throat> I'm fascinated, fascinated by how beliefs get implanted and reinforced, right? Yeah. So if somebody, somebody maybe is abandoned by a parent and they think, well, I'm unlovable, then they get into a relationship with a belief I'm unlovable and they, and maybe someone really loves them and they say, Oh, you know, I don't think you really love me. Oh, prove it. Oh, who's that calling you? And the person eventually gets frustrated, annoyed, and leaves them. And they say, oh, see, that proves I'm unlovable. And so we just keep reinforcing this belief. So for some people, it's really facing the fear that you are lovable. <laughs> you know, <laughs> just believing you are, right? Sometimes the fear is actually an awesome thing. I had two big buttons because I was obese uh, for a lot of my life. Uh, and I also was was really afraid of being alone. Like I'd rather be in a bad relationship right. than than be alone. And of course, I didn't know yeah. that either of these were really uh, operating on me. They were, you know, subconscious. Uh, so when I finally became aware of them, I said, "All right, I'm going to go spend four days fasting in a cave with no one around for ten miles." So I had a, a energy worker friend, you know, drop me off in the middle of nowhere with some water and a sleeping bag and a lighter uh, at, at a at a cave yeah. that had a. It had been used spiritually for a long period of time. So uh, I I did that. And man, I tell you, being starving and completely alone, like those are two of my biggest buttons. So I'll just push them all the way down and hold them there for four days and see what happens. And net, net, I didn't die. Uh, and, and so my nervous system learned, okay, you know, maybe those are tolerable things. And, and it, it, right. it does cause changes in your synapses. It, it has to. It does. And, and to tweak what you said earlier, uh, it's like we think was facing our fears, but what we're really facing is discomfort. Yeah, we're facing anxieties. And I uh, two two things I was thinking of saying. One one is one thing I've kind of realized more recently <clears throat> is that we go through a lot of pain to avoid pain. Right, yeah. the fear of being alone like hurt you more than actually being alone did. Uh, or people, the fear of feeling sad or depressed. Like, you know, people turn to drugs. Being a heroin addict mm -hmm. is more painful than just dealing you know, feeling your feelings. Um, so I realized like willingness to 
tolerate discomfort and the willingness to tolerate uncertainty will get you so far in life. And some people who need certainty and need comfort are just become controlled by their fears and anxieties. And Winston Churchill said it, you know, the only thing we have to fear is fear itself. And it's true that a lot of the human suffering is, you know, you're worrying more about the surgery than it actually hurt during the surgery. Right. And you see it, you see it in a two-year-old, you know, they have a splinter and they're just losing their shit. And you're like, come on, right. it's, it's a splinter. Like we're just going to pull it out. But you can see the pain, you have 10 minutes of screaming for half a second of a little twinge. Uh, it seems like that replicates into adults, but it, it's, it becomes invisible to us. But here's the, here's the difference. And I study, I did a story for Rolling Stone on, on fear and how it controls us. And I met with a scientist named Joseph Ledoux. He's the guy who discovered the amygdala, which most people have misunderstood his research and say that's your emotional center of your brain. It's not. So when you hear self-help people or scientists mm-hmm. saying the amygdala, this little almond source of your emotions, it's actually not. What he figured out is that fear and anxiety are totally different. And we give things a lot of power by calling them fear when they're not. Mm-hmm. So fear is just a survival thing. If right. you're out and you see whatever, a rattlesnake or that's you know, then your amygdala kicks in and your body has certain, you know, autonomic responses and you're feeling fear. Anxiety happens in a different part of the brain. Stria terminalis, I think is the name. I'm not, I'm not sure, but it's a different part entirely. Um, and anxiety is just a future projection. Yeah. That thing, if I go walking in the forest, I could see a snake and it could bite me. That's just anxiety. So if you can recognize that anxiety is just a made up future projection. You can let go of it and giving it fear gives it so much power, becomes a because it becomes about survival. One related note, because um, I'm fascinated by fear because you look at the culture right now, so much is fear responses. And I was trying to figure out why does fear control us so much? And I talked to a, a guy you had on your show, I think Andrew Huberman. Oh yeah, I love Andrew. Yeah, yeah, and he was saying how the, how the, the brain is wired uh, not for happiness, it's wired for survival, right? Mm-hmm. Like me being happier is not gonna, it, me, but I gotta look for the threats and find what the threats are. I can ignore that sweet, innocuous, animal like the, you know, but that saber tooth tiger, whatever I got to pay attention to. So we're wired for fear first. So we just over respond to these fears and anxieties, but we're not in that world anymore. It's, it's something that they don't teach you in high school. They don't teach it to you in university. And it's something a lot of people die with, uh, never having understood, but the, the role of you know, podcasts like this and, a lot of the the books and just a lot of people working on the personal development side, including you, is, is to like let's just own this as humans and, and get over it, so we can do something more interesting uh, than being afraid all the yes, time. Yes, it's so true. It's like it's so sad, and all the all the things like they've studied fear so much, and all the all the you know nobody looks statistically about what to be afraid of. There's something called um, probability neglect. Do you know what that is? No. So probability neglect is we don't look at the probability that something might happen. We look for what oh, makes yeah. the greatest visual impact. So we're more worried about plane crashes than smoking or whatever, car crashes. We're more worried about, uh, you know, terrorism than uh, hospital-borne infections, right? Because right. hospital-borne infections, not even though it's way deadlier. Than, if we wanted to, if I, w- I would vote for the president who was talking about how can we deal with hospital-borne infections? How can we deal with, you know, uh, you know, unhealthy eating, obesity. How can we deal with smoking? How can we deal? With, these are the things that are the hugest killers, but they're not in the papers. Yeah, the, but the, but the probability of neglect. We have so much fear about this ridiculous stuff that will most likely never happen to us. It, it all comes down to that feedback loop. If it has immediate feedback, 
you really pay attention to it, but if it hits you in five years, it doesn't matter, um, even if it's I mean, almost yeah. certain. I mean, here's the deal. <laughs> if, you're, if you're listening to this and you're texting and driving, you have <laughs> no right to be afraid of anything anybody else is doing in the world. <laughs> uh, I mean, that that is a rational, true statement, which makes me happy. Right. Well, well you, you have a, an unusual mind, which has led you to be, in addition to a, a written word storyteller, um, and having your little cameo appearance on uh, on Curb Your Enthusiasm. I, I yeah, uh, true. You had your podcast with uh, Gabby Reese uh, called The Truth Barrel, uh, where you were taking interesting people and putting them in a, in a really hot sauna until they told you the truth. So your your oral storytelling is is really good. And you've got a new podcast we, we've talked about a couple of times. Uh, and it, it's bothering me because I said, hey, Neil, why don't you come on share some of your wisdom and talk about your new podcast that I'm really excited about. And every time I talk to you about it, you change the name of the podcast. So, so yes. far I've heard, I've heard Gonzo, which is a name I'm like, for God's sake, that's a terrible name. Don't do that. Uh, I've heard uh, to live and die in Los Angeles. Uh, I've heard Lost Angeles and you had one other one, didn't you? Uh, oh yeah. Sins of SoCal. Oh, Sins SOS. of SoCal or SOS. All right, so tell listeners what your new podcast is about, and then let's talk about how, let's talk about titling. As authors, we title things, and this is valid for you listening, even if you're not an author. Just our thought process here uh, is going to be important for how you present anything you do. All right, so first off, what is it? So everyone can think about why you're naming it. So okay, so <laughs> I was saying earlier that I just start with curiosity. I'm not trying to write a book about anything. I just have a problem I'm trying to solve. Yeah. So one day I live in Malibu and, uh, and someone went, miss, went missing in Malibu and nothing was happening. <clears throat> and, uh, and, and Ingrid, uh, my, my wife had just had a child and she was, um, struggling just, she left her job. She wasn't doing anything. This, I swear this is getting to what the podcast is about. And she read about this missing person and started offering help to the family. And, so next thing I know, myself, Ingrid, uh, and two neighbors, they're, uh, uh, this guy, Mike Einziger, who plays an in incubus and his wife, Anne Marie, who's a amazing violinist plays with Hans Zimmer, people who are not crime fighters, let's say, right. uh, suddenly said, how can we help? And next thing we found ourselves like swept up into the investigation. And I started to learn a lot, just the same, same with emergencies, same with the truth, same with the game. I started to learn how the system works, especially when people go missing. And, uh, and consequently, it led to a couple other things like it just helping families when this happens, because if you go to the LA, the LA police website, it says, if you, if someone goes missing, first thing to say is don't worry about it. They'll probably show up. <laughs> and then the second thing is do if they don't show up, come to us, but recognize we have tens of thousands of cases every year. There's probably not much we can do. You should get a private investigator. Wow. And then it says, if you can't afford a private investigator, go to the Salvation Army. That's literally what it says on the website. The Salvation Army. Yeah. So it really says like, we're overloaded. We don't have a lot of people working. Missing is kind of a vague area. It's not like there's a body. We don't even know what, we can't even prove there's a crime. So good luck. And so I, so, so consequently, I've just been um, literally the four of us and I've just I've been helping families, raising rewards locally, uh, getting press conferences together, 
getting the press there because they don't know what to do. Do you guys have like tights and capes and stuff like that? We, we should, right? <laughs> I mean, I'm sorry, yeah. Yeah, there's a team of four crime fighters. I, yeah. Or the, the, it's, the it's, Bloodhound Gang, is that, is that more? Uh... <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's, it was very Scooby-Doo, right? <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, but it, it's, it's interesting because first of all, no one's prepared for that kind of thing. And then let's say there's a learning curve to what do you do when someone goes missing. By the time you've learned it, 30, 45, 60 days have passed. All the security camera footage has expired. Uh, you know, phone pings are harder to get. It's really tough. I really was thinking of like starting a maybe a nonprofit foundation where people can get help within 24 hours versus having to wait all this time just to make sure that they're really gone. And it's so, so anyway, so the podcast, so you're asking about the podcast and it was, it's just one of the most insane stories about a missing person that I got swept up into and ended up sort of, I don't even know how to describe it. <laughs> oh, well, it sounds like you describe it in the show. So your your show is sort of a, a serial story about what happened in this this Malibu missing persons case. Right. And I, and I guess this isn't right until it comes out. So I'll say it was about a missing actress who went missing. And the private investigator called me and said, hey, here's what we're looking at. Here's what we got. Can you help? And, uh, and next thing I knew, like we were literally, I was parked outside the home of the person who we thought did it, not the home, the place he was hiding out, like alone in terms of confronting him because no one else was going to do it. It was so really intense. You, you, I got death threats, everything. You confronted him. Uh, you'll have to listen. Oh <laughs> to listen. It's a crazy story. I mean, there's so many things like it's weird. It's weird when you're doing when you're doing one of these things because you can't you can't give it away. Yeah. I would predict that you did because I because I, I, I know you somewhat and because um, I've read Emergency and that just sounds right. like something you would do. But also, there's got to be some amazing twists in there. It, there's a crazy twist, and the other interesting thing about it is a lot of things are like here's a cold case, an old case we're looking into. This is all really going on, and it you know you really get answers at the end, and the answer it's like there's a point where we knew a piece of information before the police or the public or the journalist did. And we had to hold off, not the police, but the entire media so that we could kind of get, find out what happened to this person. It's wow. very, it's very intense. And I think the other part is, you know, you want to do good. And when we give advice, we're doing this abstract good, but here is like, if you can help friends and a family who's suffering, have some answers, some closure, some justice, you really know you're, you know, you're, you're, you're making a difference. And it's the worst thing you can, my mom always said, the worst thing someone could ever experience is to, is to, you know, lose their own child. And so you're helping people in the, what could possibly be the worst point of their life. Speaking of uncertainty. Talk about giving back in a major way. And the last point is that, I mean, in this day and age, a citizen can have better resources than the police have. Yeah. And, uh, and can do more. Um, and I think there's, you know, gonna it might be an opportunity or a place in the future where citizens can really get together and really do a service for keeping neighborhoods and communities safe. It's an important thing, and, and it's one of those things. Who would have thought? And the number of people are going to need it is relatively low, but the impact right. on their life is in, is just un, immeasurable. Even just you know yeah. one or two people where where you know you make the difference. I mean, and and helping helping. I mean, I was when I did emergency, I was an EMT for a while, and but being there for. Go to go back to parenting, what creates a child, the love a child has for a parent? It's not the parent who's always with that child, the parent who the child has the most fun with. It's when the child's in the most pain, what parent is there for them when they're in their worst moments. That's yeah. where the love bond happens. And same with people. Who are, who are you going to be there for in the worst moments of their life, right? 
whether it's their emotional lows, in this case, they're living a nightmare and a horror story. It's like someone having support in their lowest time is like what brings us together as a community or a species. I love it. So it's, that's going to be a powerful show because you're, you're telling the story and you're, you're talking about it. But Gonzo? <laughs> okay, why tough. would you call that gonzo oh my god like that, i gotta say that's the worst name ever and and for for context uh after we record this uh this episode and and people right. uh, when you're listening to this you know you're listening to this a, a week or two after you record it so neil is is minutes away from submitting this to his his final publishing process to um to put it out there and and neil you've been agonizing over this name since the last time we talked a few weeks ago uh, and it seems like it keeps changing. So what is your thought process as a very well uh, uh, respected writer? How the heck do you title right. an article or how do you title uh, a book? Tell me your thought process there. And then I'm going to use your own thought process on you about Gonzo, Again, which is the worst name ever. <laughs> okay. So, and by the way, one other note that I'm loving about this is the, is the storytelling element. I've always told stories through books, like we're saying, and telling stories through interview clips, through sound, through music. Like it's really a composed story. So it's like a book. I'm really loving learning a new form of storytelling. I'm, I'm more excited about it than the next book. Like it's oh, cool. so amazing to do versus here. I get anxiety free flowing a conversation because I'm like, this is interesting the whole time. My head, the only goal when I write a book or I do the podcast is how can I make each moment interesting so you just can't put it down. Yeah. Whereas here there's a surrender to, you know, someone's just eavesdropping on a conversation. Right, right. Um, so titling, yeah, titling is an interesting thing, right? Because the title of whatever you're doing, whether it's a company, right, or the podcast or the book, the title's like the like the lure that gets the fish hooked, right? It's on the that gets the fish hooked. And with this particular title, it's I knew the title from the beginning. It was always gonna be Los Angeles. And then the producer I'm working with, a company called Tenderfoot, who are amazing, they did all, everything they did has been number one, up and vanished, Atlanta Monster sworn every other they've done three they've all been number one they're great so i trust them they know that world um they didn't love los angeles because they thought it was punny hard to remember you saying los angeles or los angeles um and uh and then they uh texted somebody big up at itunes who had the same concerns so the it's that challenge of do you go with what speaks to your heart or do you listen to the feedback of people who maybe know better um, so it doesn't have to be Gonzo though, <laughs> but, but they love, they like Gonzo cause they just thought it was cool. It was one word. They like the Gonzo reporting style where, as you were saying earlier, okay, but let, let's start all over. Let's have a discussion about the title, which is knowing how I am as a writer or reporter, which is like, I'm dogged and I don't give up and I go like all the way, all the way. They thought Gonzo captured that. But what would you call it? If you've never heard of Gonzo reporting, you're probably not alone. Uh, because you know, Gonzo reporting is this idea. No, I'm not. I, I, I'm not claiming to be unbiased. It means I jumped right in with right. both feet uh, and, and became a kind of a part of the story and told you uh, told you what it was about, which is exactly what you've done in all of your books. You're like, this is what it was like. You know, when I went right. and hung out with these white supremacist prepper people, knowing they might want to kill me because I'm Jewish, right. but I did it anyway because exactly. I wanted to. I'm like, okay, that's a story you can't put that story down, Neil. Right. Um, so I, I, I look at that, I'm like, okay, that's definitely Gonzo. But what I do when I'm naming something, whether it's a product or my books or uh, Bulletproof or what, whatever it is, before you think of something, there's always a picture 
and, and a feeling with the picture. So you could go to Google and you could type gonzo. In fact, I'm going to do that as we're speaking right now. And I'm going to tell you what comes up. Okay. I know what you're going to do. I know what's going to come up. I'm going to go to images. <laughs> okay, I'm this not whole podcast to, is Dave okay. shaming me out of my podcast title. And, and by the way, so the first thing that comes up on Google under the words, the, the cognitive thinking, it says, um, associated with a journalistic writing of exaggerated, subjective, and fictionalized style, or maybe bizarre and crazy. Okay, so that's pretty good. But now I'm going to go to images. <laughs> oh my God, an entire screen of Muppets. There's nothing that is not a Muppet on this screen. And, and I've got it on a small font too. So I've got 16 Muppets. That's what people are going to imagine when they hear the word gonzo, which is right. why I don't think, unless you want to associate yourself with Muppetry, that that's the Everyone right. loves gonzo. <laughs> <laughs> but but it's interesting. This, is, this dialogue Dave and I are having is like a dialogue that just, it's a great dialogue because all that feedback is important. Um, and I love getting that feedback because- me respecting you and doing all the things you think like that's huge. That's weighted so heavily in terms of, uh, of, of, uh, not naming it Gonzo. Yeah. It, by the way, it could still be Gonzo, but I still got to, I still got my producer to contend with. All right. Well, let's play this back for your producer. And now you gave me a little bit of anxiety because I'm like, God, I haven't actually Googled image search for Bulletproof and I have no idea what's going to come up. Oh, let's see it. Let's do it. Can you uh, do it? I just did. And I was like, well, <laughs> maybe it's customized for me, but I can tell you that you see Bulletproof Wait. Radio, Bulletproof Diet, and Bulletproof Coffee all over the place, along with a couple, an action movie from 1996 with Damon Wayans and Adam Sandler. I, I can hang with Adam Sandler. Oh, dude, I, it's, it's, it's amazing. No, same, same, <laughs> same, same here. It's pretty amazing you took a word like Bulletproof. And ended up sort of owning that on Google because you'd think um, this bulletproof glass. There's a lot oh, of yeah. bulletproof things that that you know this that 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 are more bulletproof. I thought I would just see a Kevlar vest to be perfectly honest. I was going to sort of make fun of myself, uh, but okay. So my advice holds now. Uh, and, I mean, and so I mean, the the idea though, and if we, if I, I'm sure if we type Los Angeles, it isn't going to give us anything. But right, unless there's some sort of vampire movie. By there's the a name. yeah. The, it's pretty um, amazing. That's actually, pretty amazing. there's a 2012 IMDb hit for it and uh, a bunch of random pictures of LA. But they're all about LA, which is good because you're basically right. talking about Malibu as part of LA. So I would like that. But the And when this, I was going to name my book The Game, people said don't call it The Game because there's that Michael Douglas movie. So you have to like oh, take yeah. everything with a grade of – I just thought, well, it's the right title and I'll just own The Game. But Gonzo may not be the right title. All right. So we, we nailed that one. But okay, now you're, you're talking about – uh, Sins of SoCal, uh, SOS, or you're talking about Los Angeles, or you're talking about to live and die in LA. And we really are talking about living and dying and missing persons and being a detective and all that stuff. Right. So as a, as a creative, and, and I mean, best in class creative, or at least one of the top guys in your class, whatever you want to call right. it, but you know, world recognition. How do you know that you're saying like in, in your gut, how do you know which of those is the one that sticks? Like, like what's your, well, what's your thought well, process? In, yeah. You know, it's different for me than for you in the sense that if you have partners. So if, if it's a book, I'm going, to, I'm going to say a really important thing for everybody who works with other people. The most, if you're writing, I've talked to a lot of writers who, who want, they're like, I want to leave my publisher. They don't get it. And every writer argues with publishers over title and cover, right? There's always a big thing. Um, and it's different than naming your own company. You just want the best name. But here you have these partners who are investing a lot of time and money in you. Mm -hmm. And you, one important, I love nonviolent communication. It's one of the most important things I've ever learned. And the big idea in it is you have to recognize that no two people 
have different needs. It's just that they have different conflicting strategies. So no two needs are never in conflict. So if I want to call it Los Angeles and they want to call it Gonzo, we both actually just want a great successful podcast, right? They're my partners, so I'm not mm-hmm. butting heads with them. So I just have to think of putting our heads together and how what we have the same intention. Um, and how can I sort of join forces with them to create a great? And I think what I said, even if you're not titling something, it's important to recognize that if you're in a relationship, well, what the, both people have a need to, to love and be loved. You know, if you're in a business, both people want to be successful or all five people or however many people there are, that your needs are the same and your strategies are, even politically, there's everybody wants safety. Everybody wants fairness. They just have different ideas for the strategies of what's going to create, you know, whatever it is, safety, equality, freedom. Right. Uh, and recognize that we have the same needs and we just conflict over the strategies helps you come together with people. Um, so, so, uh, gonna have to figure out how to get out of the strategy lock. It's one of the most painful things that, that I, I go through and, in, in not, not, so, not necessarily as creative or as painful as the, the end of the creative process where you're just cranking out the final edits and all, but right. that do I have the name right? Because if you name your podcast, uh, wrong, a third as many people may you know, benefit from your art as well if you do it right. And, and right. we talked earlier about fear, like your fear of failure and all that stuff. Is is fear a part of your naming process that you do to go through naming one of your books? Like, like do, you, do you go through the, here's the pain of naming it wrong? Or are you more positive than that? Oh, it's a good note. It's a good note. It's interesting. You were saying earlier, I think it's, it is true. People are either like, they either try to avoid failure or they embrace success, but either way they still end up you end up at the same place. Yeah. Uh, no, for me, I think I, it's like more like I want to fit. It's like you have a great personality. Someone can have a great personality, be really smart, but who wear really dirty clothes that are five sizes too big. It's going to be hard to get for people to talk to them and find that out. So same thing. Like I have this beautiful personality of a work I've done. I want to find the clothes that fit. Uh, so no one's turned off right away and they get to know it. So it's a fit thing. Okay. That, uh, that makes sense. You just, you sort of know, all right. Right. You know, like, like with the truth, um, it had, it was going to be called like game over for a while. It's been called the game of love that they wanted to exploit that. And one day I just, all of a sudden the truth came to me as a title and it just sounded right. And, uh, and it fit. And I thought we're done. I've had some good, uh, I've had some good titles come to me. Uh, just I wake up in the morning and like, that's it. So I I don't want to, uh, you get that. too lost on this. Oh, but I yeah. will say one thing. Can I say one point for creatives? Because yeah. I was ta- giving someone advice earlier today for, for creatives. I'll tell you another big mistake that people make is that they, this the title is a marketing discussion. It's not really a creative discussion. It's a marketing discussion, right? So people make the mistake of procrastinating from doing the work by thinking about the marketing instead. So if you're <laughs> writing a book or building a company or whatever you're doing, wait till you're done with the creative work before you focus on like the marketing, how you're going to promote it, what the title is going to be. That's just a late, that should come later and it becomes a form of a very uh, uh, effective form of procrastination. I, I knew one startup entrepreneur, um, a failed one, I, I might add, who blew something like 25% of her budget on having a custom font made for her startup right. that wasn't making any money. And you're like, exactly. <laughs> That's an example of, of sort of doing it in the wrong order. Do the real work and then pick a good name. I, I I like that mindset. You still though, you're at the end of the real work. You're ready to launch your podcast. You have four names, right. and I think hopefully we eviscerated Gonzo. 
right. and and he's now hanging out uh, with Elmo, uh, and <laughs> uh, and you still got these other ones. Are you going to just like take a stand and say, "All right, publisher, partner, people, I'm the man, and I'm you know here's here's my title, and you know that's how it's going to be," or are you going to sort of let them make the call? I, I love I love Rick Rubin. He's one of my favorite people oh, in the world. Rick, Rick is so good. I love and, Rick. And, yeah. he, and he talks about collaboration. And he says that you should never compromise. You should never sacrifice. And you should wait till everybody agrees. So the simple. Rick really Rick yeah. is such a peaceful guy. But, but I mean, what we say, what he's saying is don't compromise. We're saying everybody should be happy with it versus if you, uh, he's not saying don't compromise, take a stand. He's saying everyone should be happy. That's fine to tell that everyone agrees on, even if it means letting go of one you like. I, do you think that happened when when Run DMC was coming? Like when when he introduced rap as uh, you know a, a genre and, and took it mainstream. I'm pretty sure that a lot of people didn't agree. We're pretty pissed off about that, but he still did it because it was the right thing to do. But I'm sure like Run and DMC and uh, what was the DJ's name? Uh, anyway, I'm sure the three of them all all agreed. Uh, on the music, whatever anyone else thinks doesn't matter. It's oh, okay, so it's, it's the people working together. All right, I, yeah, that I'm saying, all is one hundred percent Rick. Okay, myself and the producer. That. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Sorry, not yeah. not yet. Myself and the okay. producer. We're, when we're both happy, he okay. did threaten though if we didn't have a title to 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 uh, that we'd have to like postpone it. Oh, don't do that. All right, yeah. so it's weird to talk about it. This is so this is so inside, but 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 the fact is the fact is like these are the things. These are literally like the things we talk about. If we weren't, if we're having dinner, we wouldn't be yeah. talking about that other stuff. We'd be talking about this. This is what we'd be talking about for sure. And it's fun. Yeah, yeah it, it's, fun. it's fun. But this is actually what the Neil Strauss, you know, the, this right. huge author and, and Rolling Stone writer, New York. This is actually what's going on in your head. And this is the stuff that I think about when I'm coming out with a book too, in addition to all the CEO and father and parenting and all the other stuff that, that you're also working on. Uh, so the people, if you have... If you have either one of us up on a pedestal thinking that we don't work hard and do this kind of stuff, this is actually real life. Right. And this is just the title. Then we got to get into the subtitle. Then there's the cover, right? Then there's like the spine. Then there's yeah. the back cover copy. But in the end, like two things are, are the details matter. I think people feel when someone's really painstakingly cared about the details. And B, yeah. in the end, you have no control over whether it succeeds or fails. You have no control over it. And it has to be something you're happy with in the end. Uh, Ryan Holiday wrote a book about just the the perfection and the pain of of creativity, right? Uh, you, you must know Ryan. Yeah, I, I was laughing because his last uh, his book, I think, perennial or something. Perennial seller. Like, that's the book. Yeah, I had I had some arguments with him over the title. I, I kind of Dave Asprey'd him about that title. <laughs> well, I can I tell like, you. Perennial Seller was an awesome book. I mean, if, if, if you're awesome creative book. and you're listening to Bulletproof Radio right now and you haven't read Perennial Seller, just go read that. In fact, even if you're not a creative, if you just want to create something, even if it's not a creative work, the whatever he wrote in that book, he nailed it. Like like the, right. the angst that comes out about making something that's worthy. Uh, I don't but, know. But, I, I was but I totally Dave Asprey'd him on that title. What did you tell him it should be? I, I, I was just saying Perennial Seller. No one's like, oh, I just wrote this book. I hope it's a perennial seller. I think that doesn't speak to the heart. You, of, you know what? I did the same yeah. thing. I want to interview him about it. I'm like, perennial uh-huh. seller, that can't have been one of your best sellers with that title. I actually said those words. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> but That's to his funny. credit, it did sell well. So he, he was right. We were wrong. We'll see. We'll, we'll go on Amazon and see if it's outselling The Obstacles of the Way, which is a great title. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, I'm with you there. Well, whatever the name of your new podcast eventually is, I am going to insert it post-production here. 
To live and die in L.A. So, so, you guys, so you guys how I did that? To live and die in L.A. Uh, I just went back in time. Uh, because... I, I, now I just want to make it Gonzo, so you have to say Gonzo. Oh, no. <laughs> All right, if it's a Gonzo, I'm going to say it in a weird voice. But whatever it is, uh, we're going to we're gonna know before this episode hits the air because, well, Neil's work is worthy in and of itself, and I'm super excited to hear the whole story and, and how he tells it. Uh, right. So I'm hoping that you'll download it. Uh, along with me. Dude, I can't wait. I really can't wait for you to hear it. And the funny thing is it brings everything full circle because we said, this is an illustration of what we're saying at the beginning, which is do the stuff you care about, but it's not always fun and it's not always easy. Like this is an anxiety ridden conversation, but we also love what we're doing. It's super fun and charged up conversation, right? Uh, So this is like a perfect example of what we're saying. I mean, if if you get your title right and you do your magic, the difference could be millions and millions of downloads. I mean, Bulletproof Radio, just end of 2018, we passed 100 million downloads. And you, you get the name wrong, <laughs> you know, it, it, <laughs> no it can be like, like a make or break, all the work and pain. So it is an anxiety-ridden conversation, uh, but it, it's also but, but fun. But it's fun because we care okay. about it, and we yeah. care about what we do, and that's what yeah. we like want it to be right. And I, I'm dying to know, and I'm also dying to hear it. Neil, I, I appreciate you as a human being. I appreciate your work. Uh, it's had an influence on me. I uh, um, I, just, I love your storytelling, and, and I hope to one day be as good of a storyteller as you are. I'll keep working on that in my little world of mitochondria and human performance. Uh, but uh, but thank you, and thanks for being a guest, and just just keep doing it. Yeah, no, thanks for having me on, and I hope I really feel uh, apologies to the listener for hearing us talk about the title for fifteen minutes. I hope there's some value in there for you. <laughs> you know, I would cut it if there wasn't value. The, <laughs> okay. the deal with Bulletproof Radio, there's got to be a return on investment. And I want people listening. But you got to understand, I'm doing murder mysteries and or missing persons mysteries and like crazy things. And not, yeah. So anyway, yes. yeah. So yeah, this, yeah. Is, this is it. Okay. If, if you want to know what life is really like uh, when you're you're working at that level, this is the kind of stuff that happens. I, I think this, that this just, is it. No, it's everybody. Yeah. It's Tim, yeah. you know, Tim Ferriss. We go back and forth on the titles. He sends out the mini polls with you, mm-hmm. with me, with Ryan, Robert, every, everybody. Like this is this is these are the discussions we have. Yeah, and it's it's also because we care because none of us wants to waste our time creating something, and the worst thing would be to waste your time as a as a listener or reader with something. I'm leaving this in there because I don't think it's a waste of time for people. If I thought I yeah. was going to waste your time, I would cut it, and so would you too from your podcast. Right. So so yeah. so, the, so to put a bow on it at the end is do something you love enough that you care about the, each detail of it. If you care about every little Ooh. detail of it, whether that's I mean I know people who are like that with cooking. I know people who are like that with their car. Then maybe yeah. that's how you know it's your passion. I love it, and that is sage, sage advice. <laughs> we will we will talk soon, hopefully, in Malibu, if we have any of our friends who still have houses there. <laughs> so. Yeah. Yeah, which, 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 and to wrap that that point, too, again, then we'll shut up, but two points on, the, on having just survived the fires that I was thinking when you were talking about emergency. One is, it's interesting that a lot of stuff I learned in emergency came into play here, uh, having thermogel, which can protect your house from fires. Nobody knows about that. Uh I got a, a real swift example that in an emergency, the surfaces are not there for you. But the big thing I learned, and maybe it ties it all together, is um, you know, when you're faced with losing your house or you all my friends have lost their houses, I thought I did, you realize that all this stuff is just stuff and it doesn't matter. What's important is the relationship. So more important than the title is this chat we get to have and the connections you have with people. Uh, you nailed it. It is all about the relationships and the thermogel. By the way, I'm Googling that to see if I should get some from my house. <laughs> if, you're, <laughs> Thanks, if it's yeah. a fire risk, get it. All right, see you then. If you like today's episode, you know what to do. Head on over to Neil's new podcast called To Live and Die in L.A. 
and then listen to it because it's going to be worth your time. You will be amused and you'll learn about a hidden world that you didn't know anything about. And if you think it was worth it, leave Neil a review for his podcast, leave him a review for one of his books, or leave me a review because one of the easy things you could do to express gratitude, which makes you live longer and lengthens your telomeres, is just say thanks. And when you say thanks like that, Neil and I, we see it. So keep reading, keep listening, and keep telling us what you think. The Human Upgrade, formerly Bulletproof Radio, was created and is hosted by Dave Asprey. The information contained in this podcast is provided for informational purposes only and is not intended for the purposes of diagnosing, treating, curing, or preventing any disease. Before using any products referenced on the podcast, consult with your healthcare provider, carefully read all labels, and heed all directions and cautions that accompany the products. Information found or received through the podcast should not be used in place of a consultation or advice from a healthcare provider. If you suspect you have a medical problem or should you have any healthcare questions, please promptly call or see your healthcare provider. This podcast, including Dave Asprey and the producers, disclaim responsibility for any possible adverse effects from the use of information contained herein. Opinions of guests are their own, and this podcast does not endorse or accept responsibility for statements made by guests. This podcast does not make any representations or warranties about guest qualifications or credibility. This podcast may contain paid endorsements and advertisements for products or services. Individuals on this podcast may have a direct or indirect financial interest in products or services referred to herein. This podcast is owned by Bulletproof Media.